church in Illinois is fasting whiteness for Lent. Whiteness. Lent is the practice of giving something up to become more like Jesus. Lent, the practice of following in Jesus' footsteps as he walked through the desert without food or water for 40 days. Lent, the remembrance of Jesus fasting for 40 days, then being tempted by the devil before beginning his earthly ministry. This church, though, is fasting an immutable immutable characteristic like skin color to become more like Jesus, who actually didn't appear to care about race as long as people loved and followed him. I'm not sure, but to me it seems like this church is more like the devil than Jesus. I'm Matt Odegaard. Welcome to Church Public. Welcome back to Church Public. I am Matt Odegaard, and I appreciate you coming back today. If you missed the episode yesterday on Palm Sunday, I encourage you to go and listen to it. I think it will help you understand both this season, this holy week, and who Jesus is and why Palm Sunday makes a difference and why Jesus should make a difference to you. You can like and subscribe and share and hit the notifications. And if you don't mind, share this with one other person if you like it, if you find it helpful, because I just want people to understand who Jesus is, how to follow him, and how to live in the public square, or how to exist in this crazy, wacky world that we're living in right now. So go to churchpublic.com. You can get it at all of the podcast places. Again, make sure to hit that uh, notification setting and like and subscribe. So today we're talking about Lent. And for those not in a liturgical tradition, Lent is the practice of giving something up for those 40 days preceding Easter. And I know that in in uh, Protestant tradition, there's some question whether Lent is actually biblical. I'm going to leave that be for right now and just say that if you're trying to be more like Jesus, inherently, you're doing a good thing. We'll talk more about the theology at another time. I'm not super concerned about that. So Lent... Uh, is the practice of giving up something or fasting, that's the biblical term, right? Fasting for 40 days preceding Easter. Jesus himself fasted in the desert for 40 days before he began his ministry on earth. And of course, at the end of the 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. I've talked about that on other episodes as well. Um, And again, in Protestant circles, there's some debate about whether Lent is really biblical. Not everybody in Protestant circles practices it. I'm going to save that debate for another day again. Benefit of the doubt, if you're trying to be like Jesus, I think you're inherently doing the right thing. Again, argue over the things that really matter. And I think this one actually does matter. So in one of the weirdest perversions of the gospel I think I've yet encountered, this church in Illinois is fasting whiteness for Lent. Yes, you heard that. Whiteness. The act of being white from a skin perspective. You know, that immutable thing that you wear around everywhere you go for your whole life. The thing that you can't change about yourself that used to be bad to call people uh, because if they were a certain color, you know, that had a bad name if you excluded people because of their skin. It sounds something like spacism. I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, that thing we're not supposed to do, like judge someone on the color of their skin, not the content of the character. You know, that thing that Paul says somewhere like, I don't know, Galatians 3.28, about not judging people on their outward appearance or their background or their circumstances or their race or you know, anything. Yeah, that. That is what this church is fasting. No, no, not giving up racism or any of these things. Giving up whiteness. Giving up being white or practicing white things or something like that. This is what they're giving up for Lent, the practice of becoming more like Jesus. Because apparently somewhere in their Bible, it says Jesus condemned white people exclusively because white people are bad, really, really bad. 
this sounds kind of like critical race theory to me, but maybe more on that later. So now apparently churches are banning whiteness or white people or white Christians or white people who wrote songs or books or theology papers or started countries or fought civil wars or abolished slavery. Yeah, those people are definitely bad and not welcome in church. I mean, what kind of God could forgive that kind of sin? Listen, moan of honesty, right? Not that I'm always lying or anything, but but trying to be as, as, as honest as I can. I try to give grace to people who are confused. I get confused. Listen, I'm not perfect. I sin. I make wrong choices. I say wrong things. Probably all the time. But for a church leader to openly call for removing white things, whiteness, white people, because other races are better, that's anti-gospel, that's anti-Christ. This is Ibram X. Kendi's anti-racism. As he would say, it's not enough to be not racist, you must be anti-racist, because past discrimination calls for present discrimination, and in fact, future discrimination. And these are reverse discrimination tactics. This is critical race theory, this is Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, practiced now in the church. So this church is fasting whiteness for Lent. First of all, I have no idea what this actually means, philosophically or theologically or literally. So they're fasting whiteness for Lent. They say, this Lent, we build our worship life around the voices of black people, indigenous people, and people of color. Okay, why do you have to exclude some people to include other people? Can't we just all go to church? I mean, am I banned physically or just the idea of me or the idea of my skin color is offensive? This is not good. (laughs) Okay, so don't take it from me. Let's hear specifically from this church leader what she says it means. Now, in this fast from whiteness, of course, I cannot change the color of my skin or the way that that allows me to move through the world, but I can change what I listen to whose voice I prioritize. And so that is kind of the plan for our worship services through Lent. That we would fast for a time from prioritizing white voices and that we would use the music and poetry of black, indigenous, and people of color and see what the Spirit might do among us. Okay, so we're fasting things written or sung by white people, and probably more specifically white men, because, you know, the patriarchy. Um, I think there's a couple things that we need to point out in this clip. The first is that uh, she even admits that she can't take off her skin color, obviously. And that is that is just a problem here. Like, <laughs> you... If we're separating people based on what they look like in any way, in any direction, we're doing it wrong. That's not how church is supposed to be. We're going to look in a moment at Jesus clearing the temple in Mark 11, so you can follow along with me. And we're going to look at that because I think that illustrates what we're talking about here 2,000 years ago. I know, that, But we'll get to that in a second. The second thing that I need you to hear in this clip is, she says, let's see what the Spirit tells us or something like that quote unquote spirit i think that's a i think that's a really telling statement and i think it's important and i and i think it doesn't mean what she thinks it means i think the spirit that she's talking about is not the spirit that we know i think that spirit is not the spirit of god i think that's a different spirit and we're going to read about that from uh, Ephesians uh, 2 in, in in a little bit as well so before we get to that um let's turn to jesus for some help because 
Lord knows we need some help. So I, I want to read through Mark 11. And again, if you missed yesterday where we talked about Palm Sunday, I think it's important to go back to because Palm Sunday sets the stage for what is going on in Jesus' ministry and culturally around him. Because again, they expected a conquering king to come in and overthrow Rome and create and establish the government on his shoulders right forever. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And he did. He just didn't do it in the way that everybody thought. He established a new kingdom and a biblical kingdom, and he opened the doors for you and me to come in, which we weren't allowed to before. We were outsiders. We were not Jews. We were not God's chosen people, so we were not allowed in. And Jesus, changing everything forever, coming in as the conquering king, not of the Romans, but of sin and death, and any border in between race or anything else, Jesus eliminated. That's actually part of what he did. That was a lot of the point of what he did. Because you go all the way back to Abraham when he says Abraham is when God tells Abraham is going to be the father of nations. This is because God wants to include anyone who comes to God through Jesus into the kingdom of God. And yet we're not there yet, and we're in this intermediate period when we're looking at what happens as Jesus goes into Palm Sunday. So everybody is excited and then disappointed, and anyway, so right after that, and I, I think it's important that it's right after that. This is Mark 11. If you read through the Palm Sunday account in Mark, I know we did in Matthew the other day, but if you read through in Mark, it starts in chapter 11, and then right after that, Jesus goes to the temple, and here's what happens. Mark eleven fifteen. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So a couple things going on here. First of all, the the temple system and the sacrifice system existed in a way that when people went to the temple, they would offer their sacrifices. People started taking advantage of the people that were poor uh, coming to the temple that couldn't afford their own sacrifices, so they would sell you your sacrifice. I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's just what was happening. And during these holy weeks and these festival weeks, they would overcharge, just like going to a theme park and you have to pay $27 for a soda. Yeah, same kind of thing, only this was for literally the salvation of your soul because you have to present a sacrifice in order to save your soul, or so they thought in this context. And so these people were charging, you know, $27 for the sacrifice to go, um, I made that number up, don't go and look in the Bible that I made that number up. But they're charging people money, exorbitant amounts of money, to go in and pay penance to be able to connect with God and worship God. And Jesus goes, hey, this is not right. <laughs> Anyone is able to go to God because God loves people. And the people that are standing in the way, like if you are a worshiper of God and you have God on the other side, and then in the middle is this person saying like, hold on, pay your entrance fee to get to God, right? That's what's happening here. <laughs> Jesus, as God says, uh, no, we're not doing this. And I'm going to basically like make a whip and whip you uh, that's in another uh, of the Gospels. He fashions a whip, whips people out of there, and is like, no, we're not doing this. So God, who is love, and who is Jesus, who is love, gets righteously angry at these people and sends them away because they are standing in between God and people whom he loves and the people who want to go and worship God, right? Are you getting this? Now, also, 
it bears noting that Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, 7. So let's read Isaiah 56, 7. And foreigners, this is actually, I'm going to start in 56, 6. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. Um, and I will give them joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices, this is the part, will be accepted on my altar for the house, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all nations. Why does the all nations part matter? Why does it matter that there are all nations? Aren't we just talking about the, the people of God? No, that's my point. We're not talking about just the people of God. And that was the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth is to open up the kingdom to anyone, you and me included, who wants to come to God through Jesus. And these people were standing in the way of all nations and anyone who wants to come to God, which we heard about in Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. This is really important because judging people, any people, based on what they look like, based on who they are, based on what they bring to God, or barring the doors of your church to any type of people, uh, not letting people in based on what they look like or who they are, or if they're medically certified, uh, as we saw earlier this year, these are all really bad things. And if you are a person who is standing in the way of that, woe to you to stand in God's judgment, just as Jesus did this, uh, turning the, the tables in the temple Jesus is not going to be happy. I'm not a judge. Like, I, I'm not in this. I'm just telling you, like, this is what God feels. <laughs> this is what we see God do. And if you are in the business of of setting the, your own regulations for who gets to be in church or participate in church or whatever, I would have trouble sleeping. I'd be a little nervous if I were you. This is what I think this passage has to do with this weird church who is saying based on the color of your skin, you're either allowed or disallowed. Or And, and the fact that it's tied to Lent and the holiest day of the year and Easter and Holy Week, like, I think it's, it's like doubly, triply bad. Like, this is just bad. Uh, and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to Paul for a second because I, I mentioned Paul and, and Paul talks about this. And, he, and he, he connects dots for us that, again, if we're not good Jews, we might not have connected. And if we didn't know Isaiah, like most every Jew did, we might not have connected this and understood this. So I'm trying to help you understand this. And Paul tries to help us understand this. So in Galatians, he talks to them about this in Galatians 3.28. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek or slave or free or male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Because back then, 2,000 years ago, they were having these same arguments. Hey, you're not good enough to go to church. You're not good enough to be a Christian. You're not the right color to be a Christian. You're not the right race to be a Christian. No slaves are supposed to be Christians or no rich people are supposed to be Christians. Like whatever it is, if you find yourself to be the one saying those things, you should repent immediately. And if you find yourself in the presence of somebody who's saying those things, you should run away. If we create barriers for people to enter the kingdom of God or the celebration of the saints or worship in the church or anything like that, we are assuming, you are assuming a role of Messiah, of God. That is not a role that is yours to take. Jesus is the only one who gets to determine who can stand in the presence of God, who gets to come into worship of God. Not you and certainly not me. And using the church to segregate people based on race or anything else is just wrong. And don't forget the source of all kinds of historical evil. Why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep falling for this trap? I think the answer is simple. It comes down to what I've said, the spirit of the age. And you're sitting there saying, why does this matter? 
I don't go to this church. I don't live in Illinois. I don't like it. And I just don't care. I think we do have to be careful because I'm seeing this more and more. This is not the only church. Well, this is the craziest example I've literally seen. This is not the only example. We have a lot of churches who are doing this. And in fact, in a moment, I'm going to share uh, what they share from their from two denominations, which apparently they're part of, that are all in this same bubble together. And that's just two huge denominations in America. A lot of churches are dealing with this. So first, I hope you are not personally associated with a church that does anything like this because this is not biblical or Christian. Um, and and let me just let me just show you their words so you don't think I'm making things up. This is their words about their community. We are open and affirming. We welcome lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people into the full life and ministry of the church, including ordination, expecting and encouraging them to share their talents and gifts in the life and liturgy and leadership and employment positions of our congregations as ministers and teachers and members and friends. Now, I have compassion and can have sympathy for anyone dealing with any sin issue. As I mentioned, I am by no means perfect and I have all kinds of issues. But I try to be better every single day. I try to deny myself every single day. I try to follow Jesus and be faithful to him every single moment of every single day. And I fail at that a lot. You probably do too. But to say outright as a church, as a leadership, that it doesn't matter what your sin issue is. In fact, even if you have a sin issue, or specifically if you have a specific sin issue, we're going to actually platform you and put you on the stage and put you in employment because of your particular sin issue. That's not following Christ. I don't know how we can't see this. I, again, feel bad. I can love people. I, I can hug people. I can I can uh, sympathize with, with people's issues uh, when they're dealing with sin in any of these areas. But to say it's good and to platform it and say this sin is actually good, ah, we're going the wrong way. We're going the opposite way. In fact, we're calling good evil. We're calling evil good. And that is the spirit of the day. That's why it is not incidental that this leader wants you to test your quote-unquote spirit and see what you're going to do with this Lenten fasting of whiteness. This spirit is not the spirit of God. This is the spirit of the day. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of this world, the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Ephesians 1 and 2. This cultural spirit needs you to forget about Jesus of the Bible. Instead, focus on this spirit of the day, the evil one. The feelings... The idea that love is love, the idea that you just need to love your neighbor and accept your neighbor however they are, regardless of what God says about any issues at all, whatever, or whatever the latest craze is, this is not biblical. That's why I bring this up. It's not this particular church, that this one is out to lunch more than most I've seen. It's that this idea, this spirit of the age, is culturally proliferated everywhere, and I'm seeing it in churches everywhere. Not all churches, but I am seeing it in a lot of churches. This progressive liberalism, this progressive Christianity, it is not unique to this church. And the problem that I see like this is in churches all over the place. And this is an extreme example. I grant that. But we need to be on guard against such things. This is why the story of Jesus turning the tables is so important. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is love. Jesus saw people being taken advantage of by the church and in God's love and in righteous anger, he threw them out. Now, I'm not saying we physically throw people out, mostly. I am saying we need to be wary of those that try and lead us to God to make sure that those who are trying to lead us to God 
are actually trying to lead us to the God of the Bible. <laughs> this is important, and it should go without saying, but apparently it doesn't anymore because you get crazy talk like this. We need to go to the God of the Bible, the God who is Father of Jesus, the God who gave us the Holy Spirit when Jesus ascended so that we would know what is good and what is bad. But apparently we just see something that we like or feels good or we want or love is love, and we just say, well, that must be what God wants because, because love wins, right? No, wrong. That's not, that's not the Bible. And that's where I think passages like this, where we see Jesus actually stand up and go against culture forcefully, and even in this case physically, again, I'm not arguing for physical things. I'm just saying sometimes we need to stand up and say, hey, truth is truth and a lie is a lie, and you can feel good about it, but that doesn't make it right. Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, Isaiah 5. This is what we need to watch out for. This is why this church is an important example to make of and why we need to be careful whom we follow, where we serve, where we go to church, what pastors we let into our spiritual life, and make sure that spirit is actually the spirit of God. I'm Matt Odegaard, and this is Church Public. Again, thank you for choosing Church Public. I certainly appreciate it. Like and subscribe and share. I do hope that you share it with one of your friends just so that they know that there is something more to this life, that Jesus is important, that following God is important because we all live in this crazy world and one way or another, we're going to run into this kind of idea and I hope that you do it while you keep your faith. God bless. We'll see you next time.